Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Sarah Brody has found a brilliant way to write off her art and office supply purchases by becoming an art therapist. She went to Canada's one and only English language graduate studies program, getting her master's in art therapy from Concordia University in 2005. She beefed up her studies and postgraduate specialization in child development and psychoanalysis at another one-of-a-kind institution in Toronto and founded the artery with the only other person who has those two diplomas, her work wife, Claudia Corradetti. They've been lucky to find a few other kindred spirits to practice with out of their sage-colored bungalow in Burlington, Ontario. They've been even luckier to be so warmly received by a community hungry to use creativity in the service of healing and mental health. Please help me welcome Sarah Brody to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Lisa. I'm so excited to talk to you. I normally talk to artists, so this is a real treat. I get to talk to somebody with a different perspective on the art world. So I thought Mm -hmm. maybe you could tell us what it is you do that makes it so different. Sure. I am an art therapist. (laughs) And for anybody who doesn't know what that is? That is a master's degree. (laughs) (laughs) Then it gets you into the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario. And then after that, it is as much what you make of it as art itself. So what made you interested in becoming an art therapist? I kind of had a calling. I used to do my morning pages a la The Artist's Way. And I would do pretty regularly, it was in my 20s, a sort of stream of consciousness kind of brain dump for mm-hmm. three pages, first thing in the morning, lots of dream work. And if you think of kind of free writing as like a way of hearing oneself through a loop of the written word, there's a lot to clear. And oftentimes, too, the three pages sort of that was Julia Cameron's sort of decree It was three pages. And I would always surprise myself on the third page. Mm-hmm. Many things sort of came through that I didn't really ever reread these. I often would, when I threw them out at the end of a certain period of time, I would like wait until I saw them go into the dump truck. <laughs> <laughs> but I genuinely found answers in those pages that I live by still. Out of curiosity, is that still a practice for you? No. No. <laughs> I also read The Artist's Way in my 20s, so it's interesting, and that really fueled my creativity artistically with painting. So Mm -hmm. as an art therapist, how would you describe to people who have never came in contact with an art therapist or have worked with one, like what does your job entail? Obviously not client information, but what does an art therapist do? Well, the canvas is an hour, only limited by the imagination, and the process is the same as anyone would undertake and the project can be as long or short as a sketch or a painting or something never quite achieved you know like there's all kinds of scopes and I like to find a medium that people can't resist 
That's good. I like that. Are you yourself creative? Do you write? Do you paint? Oh, but I mean, the therapeutic modality is, is a medium. Mm-hmm. So how do you refuel yourself? I mean, I imagine that you're giving a lot with your clients. How do you refuel as a therapist yourself? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I almost see art as work because of this work that I do. So it's, I need to do art. If I don't, then I need to refuel. But I wouldn't say that's the refueling. But sometimes it is. And I also just like to garden where I was before. (laughs) And I will be again. I'm growing a garden of huckleberries this year. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) What inspired the huckleberry? Well, I could take that in so many directions. So my son is named Finn. So it's partly inspired by Huckleberry Finn. And then I think the huckleberries were brought over on the slave ships. I think they're still grown in kitchen gardens in Africa. And they're prized for their leaves. Whereas here, they'll be pie. But the leaves are very important. They have like a sort of microdose level of many different sort of almost narcotics. But you look at them like an aspirin or something like that. And maybe, I don't know, I'm just curious because I like these little things that you can grow that would never fit the marketplace, Mm -hmm. but that people still cultivate. And we're also growing popcorn and (laughs) just seeing what else we can kind of muster out of our little plot of land. Oh, that's fascinating. I've been out in the garden the last two days myself. So I kind of find that was my therapeutic place as well. I love getting into the earth. Recently, you actually did go on a little bit of a trip and a journey, which is also on a creative side. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? And I love to hear about it. (laughs) So this is to North Adams, Massachusetts, where there's mass smoke. It's a huge industrial complex, once textile mill. Now they have given a wing to Lori Anderson and she got to just like move in the stuff that God forbid would be in storage. And that's what the place is full of. She built this table where you like insert your elbows on this beautiful wooden table where there are these grooves and you put one elbow in each groove and then you put your hands on your ears and the table makes your bones into headphones. Oh, wow. And that's hard to imagine. I'm trying to think. Yeah, really the place is full of that kind of artistic magic. They've given very big place to Canadian art in their history of this beautiful, beautiful space. But once every two years, this big music festival called Solid Sound comes in. And I got to see amazing acts in these like beautiful courtyards of industrial New England. And I saw Sun Ra, which has been a dream of mine. This is a orchestra, they call themselves, of Chicago. Wilco's from Chicago. And they played this beautiful song called Be Yourself and Watch the Sunshine. And while they sang, I saw the sunshine in a new way because these birds were flitting about overhead. The sky was so, so blue and it was all brick on all sides. And the music was sort of contained by this courtyard Mm -hmm. and people were feeling very lucky to be seeing this very old band where one point, the bongo player, who is 70 years old, stood up and in raptured, did cartwheels all around the band twice, and wow. then sat down and immediately started playing the bongos again. <laughs> Just the energy. Yeah. And then the band leader got his 98th birthday cake on stage. Wow, 98? 
That is amazing. He didn't blow out the candles. He just blew his saxophone. (laughs) That's great. That must have been a really, really cool experience. So it sounds like you surround yourself with lots of creative things then from your work environment, but also your own personal environment. Definitely true. And so where does that love and passion for creativity come from? Where did it start? It's something we all cultivate if we're fortunate to have good health. Were you always like through school, were you a creative individual? And was it music? I love to buy art. (laughs) Also, just have an eye. Like, I think that I've become sort of like an art collector that doesn't have to purchase anything by being an art therapist. Yeah. Well, I first met you through the Burlington Fine Arts Association, and you were looking at the work from the artist Mark. And it was so Mm -hmm. insightful listening to what you were seeing in all of our work in the collection and the artists. And that to me was so enlightening in terms of my own process, even because there was stuff I started to see that I hadn't recognized because I was too close to the work. Right. Yeah, I think that is a good loop to go through that we did. And that's that documentary kind of captures it that people can watch if they haven't, because there's definitely a sort of rewilding that can happen when art therapists who think so much about creative process mm-hmm. get to bring kind of mindfulness that I think that we cultivate as a field in art therapy about creative process to artists. I think that's always been a cross-pollination throughout the history of art therapy. But of course, I don't think that's true for artists taking in art therapy. So there is definitely a good inroad because it's a rich sort of like blast of vitamins <laughs> of seeing connections of mind and life. I actually had a conversation yesterday with an artist in Cornwall and she talked about she's very much a process, but she also said that one of the things that she focuses on is that mindset. Artists sort of acknowledging where they are and sort of celebrating the things that are best about them. And she feels like that was something that she had missed through her own schooling. This conversation is a nice flow from that one yesterday. That's good. You're also an avid reader. When we were talking before, you read a lot of fiction and things like that. What kind of fiction do you enjoy? And, or oh, what are you currently reading? How's that? Oh, this is just from this pile. <laughs> this is next up, one of these. And I've got this one. Oh, Leonard Cohen. That would be great. That one, I don't know. I just carried around. This one I love. I told you about, I think. The Matter and Its Emissary. Oh, no, I don't know about this one. Well, this is an amazing book. This is like 10 years old now. Ian McGillchrist is a humanities scholar. Much of this is about art. So I'll just flip to the colored panels here because there's a very important painting. And this is very important for artists to read. He studied deeply the history of Western art. And then he became a medical doctor. And he studied strokes. And he said that the Western civilization has a right hemispheric stroke Hmm. and that we have manifesting the same characteristics oh wow and that actually artists have no choice but to be bi-hemispheric and have both right and left consciousness be integrated yeah but there are many kind of fields that support a kind of separateness and separation and of course the internet is sort of the left hemisphere of culture Hmm. and so This man has compiled medical and arts, sort of humanism, 
in a way that's very important to me. Finally, this one, a beautiful piece of nature writing. I find I never get enough time in nature. So there are poets who kind of almost like distill mm-hmm. nature. And this person, I read about his book in The Guardian. I read weekly, The Guardian Weekly. And they wrote about how he discovered that spring enters at a walking pace. Mm-hmm. You can go with the 10 degree Celsius kind of wind, like a caravan. And he did it. He went all the way through like Northern Africa, Europe, up through the North, all the way to where spring finishes. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And there's more, but you know. (laughs) But it's good. It's enlightening to me. I'm going to have to definitely read a couple of those because I love reading and I love learning new things and seeing things from new perspectives. If you were recommending to artists to be more mindful in their practice, what kind of things would you suggest that they should think about or do or try as an artist? Well, I can make one suggestion that's really helped me. And that's, there's an artist in Scotland who devotes her art practice to the eightfold year, the equinox, solstice, and the midway points. I think that bringing in the seasons to one's creative process is really important. She's really helped me to do that. And her name is Julie Gibbons. And she just designs these creative prompts that anyone can bring into their artwork already. Or they can have a journal, an art journal like she has. So I have a nice art journal. Sometimes I use her kind of potions straight up. Sometimes my own thing. Most of the time I do my own thing. She works with a lot of like central form. So like mandala kind of stuff. Some of these are just kind of too long to put context to make them meaningful, but they're definitely a rich process. And everybody who follows her potions, her art potions would find them, I think, to be evocative of certain kinds of just wisdom that Mm -hmm. can rich creative process to be sure. I'm very curious because you have this amazing artist journal in front of you people can't see how often would you use the artist's journal I try to match her tempo which is one for each of the solstice the equinox and then the cross points so that's at least eight times a year oh wow that's quite a full book that you just showed me so you've been doing this practice for quite some time then yep that's great do you find that insightful to your own world and how you approach things oh yeah I'm definitely going to look her up because that's so fascinating to me. She makes it really, really price accessible. Like almost like, I can't believe she does that, but she's so generous and she's lovely to watch. She's a real artist. She's a real perfectionist. Then how she puts her videos and her music together. So mm-hmm. they're a pleasure themselves. So sometimes if I only have the time, like she presents about three hours of material to like spend time with and because she kind of coaches by showing you her own process on the camera. And sometimes I just watch that when I'm really tired, that is to just watch thoughtfully as I see her present and I make my own associations and so on. And that's enough. Oh, that sounds wonderful. As a final wrap up for everything, what is one advice you would give to any creative soul? It doesn't have to be a visual artist, even though I talk a lot to artists, but what would you advise them in terms of what they should do, try, be? Oh, there's like a bazillion things, but I think that we fetishize finishing. Mm-hmm. and that we should let ourselves off the hook of finished. Mm. And how do you do that? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> and figure out what psychological maneuver. Yeah. Let you, <laughs> you have 
the secret? Because if you have it now, we're going to be millionaires. <laughs> well, I mean, for one thing, it's an idealization. It doesn't exist. That's true. So don't believe that it's a thing. <laughs> and then to remember that idealization begets uh, disillusionment, and that's healthy. That's true. Yeah, you've given me a lot to think about in terms of finishing. I have so many projects on the go, <laughs> and I, I want to finish them. <laughs> Oh, yeah. What's going right. on there? <laughs> well, you know, one thing Julie actually said once that I really related to, and I've gotten to know her personally, she said this to me, is when you are in the creative flow and you're receptive as an artist, mm-hmm. you forget too many ideas. And so the filtering becomes as important as the doing. Mm, that's true. And yeah. that those limitations are life. That's a very good point. Because when I'm flowing, I know that I'm like ideas are everywhere. And when I'm not flowing, it's kind of more like I'm going up a mountain very slowly. Another last point, and then we'll go off into our gardens, is when you finish something, mm-hmm. it's some kind of small miracle. And it can give you what's called a kind of blind spot, sort of almost like spiritual blind spot where you lose humility. Mm-hmm. And it can, what you think of as, doable, achievable, finishable, and so on in the world and in your life and so on. And other people, you can get judgy. (laughs) So finishing itself has repercussions that aren't all good. So what's the best approach then if we don't just let go? Don't fetishize finishing. Okay. That's good advice for artists. I hope someone out there hears this and goes, oh, okay, I can move on in a healthy way. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sarah. This has been enlightening and given me lots to think about for sure. All right. Well, have a very good rest of your Sunday, Lisa. You too, and enjoy your garden. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.